Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Welcome everybody to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This is the latest in our weekly update series. I'm joined by Tom Meehan, our producer, Diego Rodriguez, associate producer, Wilson Gamarino. And uh, this particular week, Tony D'Onofrio is taking a break. He is overseas, but will rejoin us very shortly. Um, safe travels to Tony. And uh, I'm just going to take a couple minutes here to talk a little bit about um, some of the research that we're doing. And again, revisit a, a couple strategies here to help help our listeners uh better get a grasp on what we're thinking and how we're operating at LPRC. And some of this we've talked a little bit about, but in this case, uh, we're talking a little bit about, um, I, you, I talked about before the concept of mass or concentration of power or resources. And that, you know, when it comes to the U.S. military, mass has long been the idea that who's got the most can has a better chance of winning, you know, more soldiers, um, you know, and then in later years, more aircraft or ships or bullets or whatever it might be uh, to win the battle and eventually maybe the war, if you will. So in our case, though, uh, mass can, uh, or concentration can mean a whole lot and that um, we're trying to defend ourselves. Our, our location is whether, again, it's a store or a distribution or fulfillment center or it's a, an office even or a parking area. But we're trying to defend that or protect our people, defend and protect our place from theft, fraud and violence. And so uh, what we're doing at LPRC is taking these concepts to heart. It is really the heart and soul of what we do, and that is how do we improve the safety, the stability of an individual place uh, so that the people that work, that shop, that deliver, or are, are, are there for legitimate reasons uh, are truly safer and less likely to be victimized or harmed by crime by an offender or offender crew. So that's the heart and soul of what we do. But we, so what we've been doing is working on collaborative protection to gain some concentration. Because again, whether a retailer has 10 locations or 10,000 stores, for example, they are very widely dispersed and are not massed together and not going to necessarily provide mutual protection for each other. And if you look again, I can remember when I was an Army officer or later, earlier even when I was going through U.S. Army infantry training basic training in AIT at Fort Benning, you know, we developed or we uh, built fighting positions. They weren't just foxholes, but they were fighting positions. You normally had your battle buddy in there, two people in a, in a fighting position, but the way they were constructed is you didn't uh, fire straight ahead. You fired just at a, you know, at a rough, let's say a roughly a 45 degree angle because the fighting positions on either side of you were doing the same. And so you create this interlocking fire, but, but direct fire couldn't hit you. Your fighting position protected you uh, and, and really made it very unpleasant for the enemy coming at you um, regardless. So th the idea here is that this interlocking fires, but this is this mutual protection, this collaborative, this collective protection uh, that we're providing. And so you know, that's what we're trying to do with the Safer Places Lab. We've got four square blocks. They represent, again, either co-located or could represent disparate locations. How do those places work together? Let's say we're in a four square block area. We've got four different retail companies there or commercial environments. You might have some other type of, uh, you know, I have a school or some uh, a gas station or something co-located by you. 
how do we work together there to up the protective uh, status, you know, profile of a given location? So again, the people now at that location and maybe nearby locations and the pathways they used around and between are a little safer, a little more secure, better protected, so we can boost what we've got. And and so the concepts of mass or concentration by what we're trying to do here is create, I wouldn't say artificial, but sustainable uh, concentration of defenses, in this case, protective ability, um, and, and indeed a safer place, right, or places. So uh, that's kind of the main thing. So what what are some of the ways we do it? Well, can we leverage, you know, again, what we used to call intelligence overmatch? Can we overmatch or, in other words, know more about potential offenders coming our way, more about the ways that the offenders take advantage of us? How do they or how are they currently uh, defrauding or stealing uh, or uh, committing armed robberies or worse? What are the tactics they're using? What is the, you know, the, the, the method of operation, the MO, right? In, in our case. So the better intel we've got about who our adversaries are, who these offenders are, where they're likely to maybe go, when they might actually go there, or come here to our place, uh, how are they operating? Now we've got that and we can share that with each other. We can leverage that for the next part. And that's more precision action. You know, now we're not protecting everywhere from everything the same way. We, we might have a little more customization, might enable that store manager, that place to do certain things. If you're in a mall, a strip center, or you're co-located at intersections or a cluster of intersections nearby each other, how can you leverage the strengths uh, and take advantage of that uh, and cover up maybe some of your weaknesses? This this company might be able to afford this mobile protective platform in the parking lot. This other one may not, or maybe you can share some expense, or maybe the, the center owner operator, uh, if relevant, could do the same. So what can we do with increasing the information, the intelligence, the uh, the knowledge that we need uh, for more precision action? And how do we how do we leverage each other's strengths? How do we work together? Maybe it's MOUs, maybe it's other ways to do it. So these are some of the things we're working on at LPRC is in boosting individual place or space protection, reducing the vulnerability of that place. So uh, we're doing that by going out beyond what we call out in zone five, getting a better feel for what might be coming our way, who, what, when, where, why, and how, um, and then taking that information and getting better ourselves uh, at how we set up our parking area, our entry exit points, our lighting levels, or or specific lighting sounds that we might employ. Again, maybe uh, surveillance technologies and signage and combinations of all these things. Um, maybe it's human people, off-duty law enforcement or and or security officers, third-party officers that we're leveraging uh, our own protective people, you know, just getting better. And then the next part is, I think, obviously leveraging the technologies, detection technologies like we've talked about, the sensors to find out maybe potential threats online, uh, to link together with each other, uh, with our other the stores within our chain, for example, with co-located retailers those locations with or other commercial or other places that we need to with our law enforcement partners. What are ways to leverage communication, connection, and intelligence information uh, networks, even if it's very informal? Might be things like we hear Slack channels and, and Teams and just a whole host of platforms, Telegram and so on, uh, that we might take advantage of 
to know more and know more, have more situational awareness and even understanding with each other, calls for help, sharing information, ideas, uh, and things like that. So those networks and connections and the tech that enables that, in, in addition to deterrent tech, like we've talked about, the from signage and, and so on to place layout and design. And finally, it's that command and control communications intelligence that, you know, we used to call C3I and now it's all kind of other letters, but how do we connect and control with our, you know, with our main decision makers, our regional decision makers and districts and market uh, decision makers and so on. So just wanted to kind of throw that out. These are the things that we're working on at the LPRC. This is the way we look at things. We're in, we are again, influencing individual offender choices, trying to convince them not to initiate against us. If they do not to progress or if they continue to progress, make it less successful, fruitful, uh, rewarding for them. And of course, document uh, through every way we can digitally, orally and visually so that uh, our law enforcement and our prosecutor partners can try and take these individuals and crews out of circulation so they can't continue to hurt us. So that's it from the LPRC. Let me go ahead and turn it over to Tom. Um, And uh, Tom, if you could take it away. Well, hello, everybody. We're going to kind of do a brief recap of what's going on. I wanted to start with AI news. Um, I think this is going to be kind of a, a reoccurring topic that we're going to continue to, to just talk about briefly on the podcast. I think it will, in fact, affect all of us uh, everywhere uh, in the future. Uh, and certainly uh, right now there's a buzz around chat GPT, but I thought it would be Interesting to kind of talk about some of the things that have occurred with ChatGPT um, and OpenAI, and we can use Bard. I think what I want to do here is this isn't about ChatGPT for ChatGPT's sake. This is more about generative AI, which is the artificial intelligence which uh, uh, allows things to be created. You know, to oversimplify it, uh, both Bard, which is Google's version. Uh, ChatGPT, which is OpenAI, or Anthropod, which would be Claude. Those are the three kind of big ones that are out right now. There are several others. All use uh, the same type of principles for large language models. So um, ChatGPT, you know, it's somewhere around 570 gigabytes uh, or um, you know, upward of 400 billion words in, in there. And some of the things that have occurred in in the past few months with it is uh, you have a, a couple uh, different uh, instances where it gave information uh, that was incorrect and uh, was defamatory towards uh, professors and, and other folks about things that were occurring. Uh, the model itself uh, is is not a, you know not invincible to errors, and I think if you go in all of the services that are out there. Are, are showing that, you know, in very clean English, this model could be incorrect, you know, validate your information. But let's just talk about uh, from a privacy standpoint, some of the risks or concerns that corporations have is that you're pumping your information into this device, um, into these tools, and you don't necessarily have a lot of control of what is occurring. So I think that's a really, really important kind of way to think about this. If you think about it that way, you're putting something in and you might not understand what really um, is occurring. Uh, Companies like JP Morgan Chase, uh, uh, Amazon, uh, Verizon, Accenture are banning staff from using ChatGPT 
and there are more on that list. These are just kind of some of the bigger ones because of some of the privacy risks for IP uh, as well as uh, misinformation. Also, um, there are some companies that are also grow- having growing concerns over third-party apps, uh, so other apps that are plugins. I personally think it's a fantastic tool, but I think rule of thumb here is that if you're doing something that is potentially uh, confidential IP, personal information, corporate information, you should limit using it. I, I per- currently use it as an, a more advanced search engine to answer questions quickly as someone that reads a lot. But I think there's definitely a lot to be learned. I don't think this tool is a tool that we should just write off. I think that as in all technology and tools, there is a concern of misuse or misappropriation. Some of the cybersecurity risks with tools like this are a little bit different and aren't necessarily inherent or apparent to all of us. So with AI, one of the the challenges from a risk standpoint is something called data poisoning. Uh, And that's a term that I don't think a lot of people have heard yet, but data poisoning uh, means that you know, AI systems rely on large amounts of data to learn and make decisions. If attackers can manipulate that data used by the systems, they can cause them to make incorrect decisions and provide false results. Um, data poisoning is one of the things that Elon Musk and some of the other very, very uh, well-known people in the tech space are talking about is the, the ability to provide massive amounts of misinformation and basically change a narrative it exists here. Uh, adversarial attacks, you know, um, adversarial attacks are a type of cyber attack that targets AI systems. So uh, if you were attacking a system, tricking the system into making incorrect decisions, uh, such as misclassifying images or changing things, kind of they go similar together. And then the other one, which is I think what we always see in this space is model stealing. So like someone steals that asset, that model, um, and then they can use it to create their own AI model. Uh, one of the challenges with AI is as we get more sophisticated at preventing a th- attacks, excuse me, AI in some uh, cases will actually enhance the ability for bad guys to use attacks. So this is not a, a dire warning to stop using it. It's just understand what you're doing. I think it's great to ask it questions. I think it's also really important to validate. I think it's also important to understand the differences between using Bing with uh, using Bing is chat feature versus chat GPT versus Bard, what they're looking at, how the back end works. Or if you're using a tool called Poe, which is owned by Query, uh, Query that they have a combination of all of these. Um, I think as always, our goal here on the podcast is to educate. Um, this is not opinionated. These are all factual things we're talking about. So just let's stay, stay in, engaged and we'll continue to give updates here. On the global front, uh, we, we talk a little bit about geopolitical risk on the podcast. And I think when we talk about intelligence gathering, um, there was a couple things that occurred over this week that are concerning. I don't know that they'll flow over to the U.S., but the, the, World, Health, uh, the, the World Health Organization has issued a warning that, you know, in the conflict in Sudan, which is almost a civil war, um, that uh, an unknown group, so an unknown uh, group, uh, got uh, control of a lab in Sudan. And that lab has, a there's a significant risk associated with that because that lab has um, samples of smallpox, samples of a, a, a whole host of really, really terrible diseases that it, that 
if they were accidentally released would be a challenge and if they were weaponized would be a challenge. So there's no reason to think that they're going to be weaponized. As a matter of fact, it, it's probably uh, the bigger challenge here is that if they if there was an accidental leak or uh, the potential to sell this onto a third party, weaponizing viruses is not something that you just do. There's quite a bit along uh, that goes with it. But when you think of measles, smallpox, cholera, and, and a whole host of really, really bad diseases in an area where an unknown a Sudan fighting fashion, it could be a militia, it could we're not even really sure is in it, then I think that there there's risk. And I do think that there'll continue to be uh, challenges there. It is not technically a full-out civil war in Sudan, but it could be. And then the question is in that region, which is relatively unstable, and the countries around it, um, you know, what happens? Uh, why am I talking about it here? Because I believe uh, that you know some of the things we learned through COVID is the supply chain is much more fragile, and if you have business in other countries that rely on certain uh, raw materials or transports to those areas, there could be an impact. Something that will certainly keep everybody uh, apprised on. And then I just want to give a, a, a kind of an update on some of the things around TikTok. I know I talk about it all the time. Uh, about half of the uh, of folks that were polled said that they wanted to ban TikTok. One of the things about ban TikTok, uh, TikTok is it's a Chinese-owned social media network, so there's concerns of what the Chinese government could do with that information. I think there's a really interesting point here that if you went to the Android or Apple store today, you would um, well, you would see that um, there is a a really really a large amount of Chinese-backed apps on the app stores. And one of the things um, that, and, and it wasn't this week, it was last week, um, five out of the 10 top apps on um, the app store for both Android and Apple um, were um, affiliated with Chinese-owned companies. And one, uh, not one, I'm sorry, four out of 10 of the top apps were actually um, affiliated with someone from the actual Chinese government being on um, their board. So if you think about that, that that really um, kind of resonates with. So you're, when you when you go back and you think about the, um, the top apps that are downloaded, four of ten of them actually have Chinese board members. Now I'm um, I'm just simply just uh, delivering that news. I actually do quite a bit business in in China in, in my past, not so much anymore. And um, I don't think this is about China uh, or Chinese companies necessarily being bad. It's about the laws in China allowing the Chinese government to have untethered access to the data. That's often what comes up with TikTok. Um, you will find that with these other apps, um, that's the same case. And one of the apps is actually a cam scanner app, which is a scanner app that scans documents. So the risk there is like if you are scanning a document that is confidential or does have IP, where does it go? What 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 are some of the things there? Uh, just a quick tip: if you're using uh, either an Android or, or an iPhone, you don't need a scanning app. They both have options built in. So an iOS, uh, an Apple device, you can use your Notes app and do a scan free, embedded in in there. And then on a, an Android application, you could actually use a Google Drive app, which is a Google app to scan a document. Um, so if if you are using uh, that the, that app today or an app that you are concerned about most of the time you're going to find that um, there are apps available 
um, that you don't need to necessarily um, use some of those apps. I often tell folks that uh, in the real world, we're not going to have time to read the terms of services. You can usually do a, a pretty quick um pretty quick Google search or search online of your favorite search engine and and get a, a quick, quick information uh, of what it is. Another app that has come up quite a bit is some an app called TurboVPN, which is also a Chinese-backed app where someone, um, the government, uh, the Chinese government is on their board. And again, the risk there is not that the app maker itself is has malicious intent, is that they are... Uh, uh, by design, by law, having to um, be able to give that information, so they have to. And I, in in recent months, um, there have been several other apps. A couple apps I'm just going to throw out there are the CamScan app. You have uh, Turbo VPN and Lemon Eight, um, and they're all top ten apps. And actually, Lemon Eight, I think, is um, you know actually owned by ByteDance, the owner of TikTok. So this is, again, not to say you shouldn't use these apps, just thinking through what the risks are for you and understanding that when you're downloading an app that is free, um, that, that there's got to be some sort of methodology and some sort of data for the, the company to monetize. Nothing is free, and in the, in the reality is here to just be vigilant about it. Um, I think... The other thing I would want to say, just switching gears a little bit to civil unrest in the U.S., uh, we've had a, a relatively um, calm last couple of weeks with a couple pockets here and there, but the chatter continues to be higher than it has in the past. And I, I think one of the things that's interesting about the open source gathering is that what we're starting to see is, uh, again, there are a lot of people that are frustrated. There is division and, and folks talking about it angrily doesn't always lead um, to civil unrest. We'll continue to monitor that here, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, at the LPRC and communicate it out um, as appropriate. And then I think the last, but certainly not least, I think I touched on this before, if you haven't had a chance to see the Loss Prevention Research Council's um, CBS video where uh, both Dr. Reed Hayes and Dr. Dr. Corey Lowe were interviewed, I would encourage you to watch it. It really talks to some of the challenges that are going on and how the LPRC is helping asset protection professionals address it. Uh, and I know uh, we'll have a lot of updates in the next upcoming weeks. Uh, I hope to see some of the folks in, out in the field and, the, and some of the trade shows that are, are coming up uh, uh, in the next six weeks or so. And with that, I will turn it back over to Reed. All right. Well, thanks so much for all that good information. Again, Tom, we always look forward to it. Uh, and, and some of the areas you explore and help us think about are amazing uh, and hugely beneficial. Um, I want to thank our producers, Diego and Wilson. Uh, I want to wish the best to Tony and his travels. Uh, and I wish uh, each and every one of you all stay safe, stay connected. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast, presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council. 